My name is Jimmy. Um, I'm excited and honored to be here today um, to share the Word of God with all of you and with our church. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, today is December 31st, the last day of the year, 2023. Um, it's always a special time. Uh, the passage of 12 months, right, from January 1st to December 31st. And traditionally, this is a time of reflection um, in homes, in, in churches, and even nations, cultures, right, across the centuries and millennia, people have celebrated the passage of time going from one epoch to the next, right? So for some of us, it's natural to reflect on the year, evaluate how far we've come, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the triumphs and the trials in our lives. And even better for, for those who are Christians, right, um, which I believe is most of us here, how far God has brought us, right, his faithfulness in our lives. And I love singing songs of faithfulness at this time of the year. Um, and we can also reflect on our church, our communities, our world. Um, so many have passed away this year. Um, you know, people die every year, and, and that's the reality. Public figures, um, I'm not going to list the, but lots of people, old, young. Even in this church, you know, some of us have lost loved ones, right? We've experienced loss, pain, um, grief. Um, and uh, in the world at large, several earth-shattering events, right? Natural disasters. Honestly, it just seems like an endless onslaught of one thing after the next, right? Wildfires, earthquakes, eruptions, volcanoes, floods, others. And, and most of them, I, I had a list here, but I don't think I want to read through this, but most of them were considered by experts to be the worst in recent times for those nations that experienced them. Whether it's here in, in the U.S. in Hawaii or in China or in Iceland or in Morocco or Canada. Um, and then human conflict, right? We, in October 7th, there was a horrific attack by Hamas in Israel. Some of, considered by some to the worst attack on Jewish people since the Holocaust. And the ongoing war in Gaza also caused a lot of heartache and societal un, you know, unrest on both sides. 20,000 deaths so far in Gaza. And, um, the war in Ukraine is still ongoing, right? 10,000 civilians lost. And on both sides, um, there have been half a million soldiers' casualties, right? Deaths and injuries put together. Civil war in Sudan, 13,000 people killed this year. Myanmar, ongoing civil struggle since 2021. Yeah, so there's a lot of things going on around the world today. And even closer to home, right, there was a shooting in Maine, in Lewiston, right, 18, 18 dead. Um, so lots of things going on in our world, and we keep praying for our world, for our country, the United States, for our local communities here in the Pioneer Valley. And even for all the nations represented here in this room, I know there are people visiting from, from, from um, Korea, from Malawi, from, from all over. Um, but by the grace of God, right, we are here today, we're alive. Uh, we have the opportunity to come once again to gather, worship in this building. We have heat. Um, we can praise God, we can worship Him for His goodness, thank Him for His faithfulness, right? Even as we consider the bad things going on, we can take stock of the good, right? I, I think I have a hard time remembering the good things God has done. I, I don't know how many of you um, can agree with me on that, right? I... I um, you know, just some basic questions. How many of you here ate yesterday, right? How many of you in this room ate yesterday? Raise hands, right? How many of you had a bed to sleep in yesterday, right? We all did. Um, hopefully most of us did. And how many of us in this room can say we've received answers to prayers, right? And you don't have to raise your hands up for that. But I'm hoping that we've somehow said, yeah, God has answered a prayer or two this year, right? And how many of you can say you've experienced God's miraculous provision this year, right? You can raise your hands on that, yeah. Um, or long-standing issues resolved, right? And yeah, there's some still unresolved. There's stuff we're still praying for, but 
right? And even here in our church, Mercy House, we've seen people come to save in faith. We've had baptisms, testimonies of God's, you know, salvation and goodness. And we've had a lead pastor install this year, Pastor Tommy, praise God. We've, we've said goodbyes to longstanding members, um, those who've served faithfully over the years. We've also welcomed new members into our fold. I mean, look around you, right? Let's, new faces, um, you know, smile at your neighbor and all that. And, and uh, it's December 31st. Um, so we're here um, by God's grace, by God's mercy. Several babies have been born into our congregation this year. Praise God, right? Babies. Um, dedications, right? Child dedications, right? We've celebrated. You know, God is working. He's never stopped, right? The gospel is still being preached, right? Miracles are ha- happening. Jesus is alive and well. He's about to work even right now, and he's working in your life, in our lives. So today we consider the story. Um, to t- I think of it as a two-in-one story, right? Um, and I, I think of it as a story of worship, faith, and restoration, In this passage, a woman with a 12-year issue of blood was healed as she reached out to touch the hem or the fringe of Jesus' garment in faith. And Jesus raised the synagogue ruler's daughter, 12-year-old daughter, from the dead. In both cases, the ruler and the woman experienced God's restoring power through Jesus, and they worshipped. They had faith. Um, And and I think I titled my message, Worship, Faith, and Restoration. I I just felt like those were the three key things that were going on there. And, and, And... I think if I could sum up this passage, right, I, I would say in one sentence, we receive and witness God's powerful work of restoration through Jesus as we worship him and have faith in him. Right. I'll say that again. We receive and witness God's powerful work of restoration through Jesus Christ as we worship him and have faith in him. Okay. So I, I'll just pause for a second and pray, um, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive right in. Lord, Thank you for this um, beautiful morning. Um, it's, a, it's a cold day. Um, it's also a blessed day, and we're excited to be here. I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us today um, through your word. Let your word bring life, bring light, um, shine in the darkness, Lord. Um, I pray that I would leave here encouraged. Um, um, just, um, yeah, and, and, and that your Holy Spirit will do a work of renewal, restoration in our lives, Lord. Um, and that will put your word into practice, Lord Jesus. And so that everything that is said here would be only from you, Lord. Um, uh, in Jesus' name, pray. amen. Okay, so um, the first verse of our text today, Matthew 9, 9 18, reads, um, while he was saying these things, and I'm going to read, um, it should be on our screens as well, in ESV. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So two weeks ago, we were in the previous scene, right? I think of Matthew and the Gospels as like, like acts and scenes, like scene one, scene two. And the, or in the previous act, let's say, Jesus was being questioned by John's disciples regarding his, uh, Jesus' disciples' apparent lack of fasting, right? And Pastor Tommy preached about this um, two weeks ago. And, and, and so most recently, right before this um, ruler came, right, Jesus was discussing new wine and new fresh wineskins. And, and, and Jesus was teaching about uh, matters of spiritual discipline, but in, in the middle of all of that, he was willing to be interrupted, right, to turn his attention to a physical need. Um, this synagogue ruler had just shown up with a bold and brave request, uh, right? I mean, my daughter just died, but you can lay your hand on her and she will live. I mean, um, so if you read Mark and Luke, which are the other synoptic gospels, so-called because they're very similar in, in content and sequence, um, we know that this ruler was a man named Jairus. And right? so I'm going to read from Mark 5, 21 to 23. Um, and so when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. 
And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleaded and earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So that's the, the first text in Mark. And in Luke, we also know from the other texts, both in Luke and Mark, that this daughter of Jairus's was about 12 years old. And so I'm going to read from Luke 8, 41 to 42 here. Um, there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. Fallen at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Right? And so we get a little more context, right? Only child of this, this man, only daughter, um, 12 years old. She was dying or she was dead. Regardless, um, the, the, the sequence is slightly different in, in those Gospels versus Matthew, but the point is by the time Jesus got there, she was dead, right? And Jesus rose her back to life. All right, so the lesson remains the same. But let's talk about Jairus for a little bit, right? This was a Jewish faith leader in the time of Jesus. And as we've been studying Matthew, right, most men of his ilk were probably not necessarily friendly to Jesus or maybe they felt threatened by his ministry. Or even if they believed, they typically would do that in secret, maybe, um, like Nicodemus and others. And we've seen from the scribes or the Pharisees, right, they were critical. But unlike them, Jairus, Jairus is not ashamed, nor is he too proud to come to Jesus, um, to beg for mercy for his alien daughter or dead daughter or dying daughter, right? Here was a father in great distress. And when we go through points of distress, we'll talk about that in a second, but in that moment, his reputation was inconsequential, right? He, he, he didn't care, but he knew that Jesus could do the impossible. And I want to talk about worship for a minute, right? The verse is, he came in and knelt before him. So that word knelt before is the Greek word proskineo, which means literally to, we translate it as worship in many other parts of the New Testament, but it literally means to fall down, to prostrate, to pay homage, to, to express respect, to bow down, right? To, so when we do this, we worship, right? When we worship, when we think about the word worship, right? We worship whom or what we deem superior to ourselves. And I just want to give a, a little more background on that word throughout the Gospel of Matthew and the rest of the New Testament. So in Matthew 2, 2, that's the same word, when Jesus was born, right? We've seen the star, that's Matthew 2, 2. We've seen the star when it rose and have come to worship him, to, to bow down before him. When Satan tempted Jesus in the desert, asked him to worship him in exchange for the kingdoms of the earth, that's Matthew 4, 9, right? He said, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Same word, right? Imagine Satan asking Jesus to worship him. Um, and then most recently in Matthew 8, 2, we studied the story um, of the leper, right? So Matthew 8.2 reads, Behold, the leper came before him and knelt before him. He worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so we see these requests being, you know, in the context of worship, right? And, and even last week when and Pastor Tommy preached on Revelation 22, 8-9, when John the Apostle was shown the revelation and, and he wanted to worship the angel who showed him the things to come, but the angel said, no, worship God, right? Proskineo, theos, like worship God, the same word there. Right, and so that is what Jairus is doing here. He, he recognizes Jesus' authority, his divinity. He asks Jesus in faith to come and lay his hands on his daughter so she will live again. And he literally believes that Jesus can raise his daughter back to life. And I think that's astounding faith. Like this, I mean, for most people, it will be a completely hopeless situation, right? But I think a key point here not to miss is it does this in an attitude of worship. And so I want to pause for a second and ask, I want us to ask ourselves, like when we are in distress, when we need God's help, when maybe something devastating has just happened, what is our first reaction? What is our first reaction, to be honest with ourselves? Like, do we curse or do we um, 
do we just throw our hands up in the air and get frustrated? And even when we come to ask God, like, do we do that in an atmosphere, a uh, humility of worship, or is it like yelling in an entitled way or something? You know, yeah, because when we're, when we're really pushed against the wall, our flesh does some interesting things, doesn't it? Right? But Jairus' reaction here, action here, shows a man who knew that he was completely at the mercy of Jesus. And he was not ashamed to ask for help. And actually, I just want to, you know, I was reading, I was, I was thinking of Job as well, right? It's uh, not, not exactly the same thing, but Job 120, I'm just, I, didn't, I don't have it on the screen, I'm just going to read here, right? His children had just died, everything had been destroyed by the enemy, and he rose, verse 20, he says, he rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped, right? That was his first reaction when he heard all this bad news. And he said, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed is the name of the Lord. And so, 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 so worship, right? I, I just want to, again, talk more about that a, a bit. Like how, church, how do you worship? How, how, do you, how do you worship? When do you worship? What is worship for you? And, and you know, we've seen these verses. The word worship literally means to kneel, to fall down, to bow down, right? I, I know, you know I'm, I'm a music person. We typically gravitate to think of worship as song, as music, but it's beyond that, right? It, it's, it's a heart posture. It's, you know, it's a heart posture, and I, I think of Romans 12 that says, you know, um, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable act of service or worship, right? So how do we do that? When do we do that? And is that an area we want to grow in, right? And, and so, so for me, what does that look like? Maybe I'm, I'm studying the Word or in prayer, and I, I, maybe I think about a time in my life when God has come through for me or done something um, or, or met a need, um, and I maybe lift up my heart in worship toward Him, and sometimes, yeah, that, that can be a song, that can be playing an instrument. But I know it's an area I still want to grow in. And, and, and even though we, we say this in a heart posture, I think sometimes a physical posture does, in a sense, lead our hearts too, right? So these people are kneeling down, they're falling down for Christ. And so maybe I'll encourage us, maybe if you've not done it before, maybe kneel down in prayer once and, and see um, how that moves your heart. Or how many times have you, you know, really bowed your head down to the ground and prayed again? These, these postures are not typical in our culture today, right? Um, but maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there when we, when we bow before God, when we kneel before God, when we prostrate before God. It's showing that, yes, I'm helpless, Lord. You have the ultimate power and you can do everything. Like, I need your mercy right now. I need your grace today. And so let, let us be encouraged, right? Like, that, to, to, to press into moments of worship. To, to, to connect to God's presence and, and actually try to, um, you know, grow in, 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 in um, being satisfied in His presence, right? And I, I think, you know, the Bible says those, God is spirit and those who, um, you know, those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's John 4, right? And, and, I, and I think, yeah, it's, those moments are when we worship, I think it's great when you do that with the Word of God in the Word, through the Word, because that's the truth there, right? And so it's not just based on feelings, but also on the truth of who God is and what He's done in your life. So, and then moving on to verse 19, um, let's talk about worship there. And, you know, this man has come, he's bowed down, he's worshiped God, he's been humble before Jesus. And I find it remarkable that Jesus rose and followed him. I mean, I, we were reading um, two weeks ago, or I, was this week ago at this point, when Matthew was called the Le, uh, Levi or Matthew, same person, you know, tax collector. The Bible says in, in, uh, in verse 9 of the same chapter 9, right, Matthew rose and followed Jesus. That's what Matthew did. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. But Jesus listens to this man, and he rises and follows him. Right? And, and 
And that's also a picture of, for me, also this, Jesus not finding it beneath himself to follow this man who just bowed down to him. And I, I think of it as a picture of God seeking us, pursuing us. You know, James 4, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a very simple verse, something worth memorizing, right? And I think in prayer and worship, as we draw near to God, he, he draws near to us. He's with us in the suffering. He's with us in that moment um, as we're going through what we're going through, whether it's joy or pain, good or bad. So let's worship God. Let's worship God as we come to him request with, with worship, right? Humility. Now, the, the second scene in this story, um, and this um, deals with faith here. Um, or, I mean, even the, making the request also was even an act of faith in itself, but we'll talk more about that um, as we go through these verses. So in verse 20, um, we read, and I'm going to read this. Um, so Jesus is now on his way to Jairus' home. Um, and something happens, right? So, behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. She said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. <clears throat> so, again, so this man just said, oh, Jesus, come and touch my daughter. Come and, you know, and I believe she'll leave. Lay your hands on her. And this woman is like, I only need to touch his garment and I'll be made well. And so unlike the synagogue ruler who approached Jesus publicly, right? I see a contrast here, right? This man publicly came, and that's also not, that was not easy for him either. It was, it was tough to actually go in public to ask Jesus for help as a synagogue ruler. In this case, and so he had, had to risk his reputation. In this case, this woman had this issue of blood, and it, it wasn't easy to publicly declare that need. Um, I, I would think for the sake of modesty, maybe after, after suffering for 12 years, she must have felt like an outcast from society at that point. Not freely interact with her family, could not go into the synagogue to worship. Everything she touched could have been, would have been considered unclean. According to Mosaic law, love Moses. Um, I mean, I, I would, you know, if you want to get a better background of provisions made by the law of Moses for dealing with bodily discharges and similar issues, I would recommend studying Leviticus 15. But the goal of these laws were, was to keep the Israelites separate from uncleanness and to prevent them from defiling the tabernacle and dying unclean. Um, Leviticus 15.31, um, at the end of that chapter, the, the closing verses, thus, or to what the end it says, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle. That is in their midst. Um, and also, I, you know, Numbers 5 also is, is, is a good chapter to read for f- further study. But, you know, similar rules are given both for lepers and people with discharges. Again, um, the similar idea where, you know, Lord told Moses, saying, command Israel to put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female outside the camp, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. There's a physical reality, there's a spiritual reality, and it, of course pointing to some ultimate spiritual reality. But the, just bringing it back here to this woman, the point being that she had to be isolated, right? From family, from friends. I mean, I, you know, Jairus' daughter just died after 12 years of living, mostly hopefully, I'm assuming happily, but in this case, I, I feel like she'd had a death sentence for the past 12 years. I mean, that's, that's what it looks like, Right? And this woman is not named in the text, but I believe Jesus knew her name. God knew her name. 
she was known. And, and even though this disease had, you know, continued for 12 years, it's a long time. It wasn't days, not weeks, not, not, not months even, but years, right? Um, perpetual separation and uncleanness, right, in that period, untold suffering, stigma, shame, separation from family, loved ones, right? If you read the, um, the story in Luke and Mark, it, it says that, you know, this woman had spent a lot of money on, on doctors or physicians, but the situation had only got worse, right? But on this special day, she got her chance to get as close to Jesus as she dared, and she dared to believe that he could heal her. Just one touch of his garment, and her faith was in Christ and his power, right? But that faith also caused her to believe that she just needed a touch of his garment to receive Jesus' healing power. And, and Jesus was about to perform a powerful work of restoration and healing in her life. Right? And so there's all this going on, suffering, shame, stigma, separation for 12 years. But verse 22 says, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Now, I believe that Jesus wanted to publicly affirm and encourage this woman. Yes, she could have gone on in obscurity with her miracle. You know, and if you read Mark and Luke, again, I, I, you know, uh, it says she was healed immediately. She touched just his garment. But, you know, and it would have been safer for her to just keep going and you know, maybe more modest that way to just go silently with your miracle. How many times have maybe some of us in this room have had an, uh, a situation, an issue, or something going on that we dared not tell anyone as public, like dared not tell anyone, like, no one must know about this. Just because it's maybe embarrassing or, or shameful. And, and even when you receive an answer to prayer, it's still like something you don't want to talk about. It's just a little embarrassing to share. I'm sure some of us can relate with that. And Jesus had more in mind. He wanted to, in effect, tell this woman, you are seen, you are known, you are loved. And in Mark and Luke, it records that Jesus made an even bigger deal. Like he said, someone touched me. And that was like, Jesus, I mean, come on. Like people have been, you know, you know uh, all over you. But he's like, no, someone touched me because I perceive that virtue or power has gone out of me. And he wanted this woman to be seen and known and loved. Take heart, daughter. Just like the paralytic in the, in the previous chapter where he called son. Right? Jesus communicates his love toward this woman. Not just as a prophet. Not just as a teacher. Or even as God or God's son, but as father, as heavenly father. He saw her, you know, he was telling her, I see you, I love you, take heart, it is well, you are well. And so God is showing us through all these things, right? Yeah, he, it's not just about the miracle, it's about the relationship, right? It's, it's about relationship. I'm your father, I'm your heavenly father, and I want the best for you. And so no matter what you're going through, and like this one, it could be an incurable disease, right? Or maybe an affliction of some kind. Or it could be a long-running situation in your family, your workplace. Maybe with a child, maybe with a friend or a spouse. It doesn't matter if it's 12 hours, 12 days, 12 weeks, months, or years, right? Jesus is saying, take heart, daughter. Take heart, son. Take heart. Right? So Jesus was on his way to Jairus' home. And Jairus was an important man. Like, he was an important ruler. But he stopped and he wanted to make it clear that this woman was also important to him. She was his daughter. She wasn't just no one. She was his daughter. Um, so, and, and one more thing in that verse, right? Jesus, note that Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. He wanted to commend his daughter's faith. Um, the faith that she had that all I need to touch is the hem of his garment. You know, just the KJV. Um, that's all I need to do. And in a similar fashion, if you remember the story of the centurion in Matthew 8, which we, um, was preached on 
a few weeks ago, right? The centurion was saying it's not necessary, it wasn't necessary for Jesus to come to his house. You know, it's like, no, Jesus, you can just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's also faith in action in that way. So I want to just spend a moment to talk about faith for a little, for, for just like maybe five minutes, right? Your faith has made you well. So what is things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen? Assurance of things you're hoping for. Things you've not seen yet, but you believe in it. Right? We believe in Jesus. We've never seen him. I don't know anyone who's seen Jesus in this room, but maybe some of you have seen him, but most people haven't. Hebrews 11.6 goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I, I mean, it, not, we're not even talking about miracles or healing or whatever. Without faith, you cannot please God because whoever would draw near to God must believe first that he exists and two, that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is required. It's not an option. It's required. I mean, we couldn't say we're followers of Christ to begin with if we did not have faith, right, in Christ, right? And of course, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And beyond that, but God wants you to believe that he rewards you when you seek him, right? Do you believe, church, that he's able to save you? I believe that answer is yes for those who've known Christ. Do you believe he can heal you? Do you believe he guides you through his Holy Spirit? I mean, without faith, you can't please God. And yes, it doesn't mean we get what we ask. We don't always get what we ask, right? But as we grow in His will and His way, our will aligns with Him, with His will. We grow in sweet fellowship with the Spirit. You know, and I, just, you know, James 4.2 says we do not have because we do not ask. It also says, you know, when we don't receive when we ask is because we ask with selfish motives. But sometimes you ask with the right motives too, but we still don't receive. And it's a growth process. It's a growth process. And I think sometimes we maybe shy away from asking. I think, you know, Tommy preached about this a few weeks ago as well, because we maybe don't want to be disappointed, right? We don't, we don't want to experience the no, and so we, we don't ask. But God is saying ask. I mean, it's all in the whole, all the Gospels, all the New Testament. Ask, 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 and you'll receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Anything you ask in my name, I'll give you. Yes, it doesn't mean it's just like anything we get, we always get what we want. But as we grow, God, our will and aligns with God's will. Right? But he wants us to ask anyway. Ask in faith. And actually truly believe that God is going to answer your prayer. Right? So this woman asked in faith and received. And so now we're talking about, okay, what is faith? But how does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Right? What does it look like to have faith? Remember, it's the conviction of things not seen. Right? And I, I simply think of it as believing God for the impossible. And, and um, Sometimes that might just be simple things as even when we pray, right? When we pray, we have faith that we're actually praying to someone, not just praying to the thin air, or we're praying to God, to the God of the universe. You know, and, and my, you know, my wife was really encouraging me last night just preparing for the sermon. I, I just, you know, talking about how, yeah, we've, you know, I, in our, in our marriage, I, she, this is her words, right? She, she's more of the logical and the reasonable one. And, um, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because I... I am very optimistic, very, uh, you know. But, but the, that's, that's good because we get to see faith in action, right? Just, and sometimes that's the thing. I don't want us to minimize what God can do. I feel like sometimes we, we only bring God the big stuff, like the really, 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 God, this person is dying right now, come heal. But there's also like, simple stuff, too, that God really cares about. And, and sometimes God answers prayers because he wants to encourage, because he wants to show you that he loves you, because 
He just wants to honor your faith, right? And then some of us hear these stories and we think, yeah, you know, because you don't want to be old. It's not about, you know, what we receive from God. It's not about the gifts. And, you know, but I think it's, it's both. Like God wants us to enjoy him, all right? And it doesn't mean it's always going to be, you know, he says in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, take heart. And that's the same word he used with this woman today. Take heart. Some, you know, some things we've been praying about for years, um, finally, you know, things, you know, happen or, or, you know, you're praying for something, it comes in the mail before you travel. Like, we had stories of people who needed documents to travel and they got it just right in the nick of time. But God was working, he's still working, he's answering prayers and I believe he wants us to have faith. I mean, you know, we're told in the, in, the, in the gospels that Jesus couldn't do a lot of miracles in his hometown because there was just not enough faith there. And there's a lot of things he could not do. Faith is a requirement. A requirement. So maybe you're believing God here for the restoration of a broken marriage. Maybe you're believing God for a loved one to come back to faith or to come to faith for the first time. Maybe there's just some situation that does not just seem that can be a resolution to. Maybe you're looking for a spouse. Maybe you're looking for a job or a program or something. Maybe you want to there's a same pattern that you've been struggling for years and you're, you're looking for a breakthrough in that or you're looking to grow. There's nothing impossible with Jesus, with God. I mean, this woman suffered for 12 years. I mean, that's hopeless on paper, hopeless. There's no hope. I mean, the doctors, it got worse. So what's the point? But she still had the faith on that very day that Jesus could heal. So having faith can also mean that even in the most hopeless of situations that God can still work and still do something. And, and yeah, that something may not be exactly what you're thinking, but he works and he will. So let's have faith in God. Let's have faith in God. Let's grow in our faith. Um, so the, the last piece here I want to talk about is restoration. It, it's kind of the thread that weaves these, these two stories together and, and kind of, you know, ties everything nicely into a bow, but... Um, so Jesus restored this woman on several levels. You know, and, you know it's, a, it's a healing miracle, but he restored her health. He restored her wealth. He restored her relationships. He restored her dignity. He restored her family. That's what faith can do. Right? And so now we turn our attention back to Jairus. This is verse 23. Um, right? So Jesus had come to the ruler's house Right. When Jesus came to the ruler's house, saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. So that indicates that there was a funeral party gathering. Right? Traditionally, in Jewish culture, funerals are conducted as soon as, soon as possible after death, right? typically within 24 hours. So the girl was dead. And in fact, if you read the story in Mark and Luke, which I encourage you to read after, later on after the service, Luke 8 or, Math, or Mark 5, you know, it was even more dramatic because initially we're told the girl is dying. And so on the way, people come to Jairus and said, tell Jesus not to bother anymore because she's now like, actually dead. So don't even worry, Jesus. Like, you know. And Jesus is like, don't fear, only believe, and she'll be well. And I, I like to read that verse because I wonder what must have been going on in Jairus' mind at that moment. Right. Was he annoyed that he was first in line, yet Jesus chose to waste time on this? I mean, the woman was healed anyway, so why did Jesus like, go through this? 
Like, do we ever have such thoughts? Like, how many of us have been in that situation where we're praying for something for years, and then maybe you join your friend in prayer, join your faith with theirs, and pray for something, or, or, you, or you're just tracking that situation, and they pray for something, and they got their answer, and you're like, God, I'm still here. I'm still waiting. I was first in line, right? But I'm usually the last to get anything. Like, God, why? You know, um, or, or even a situation where you don't even get anything at all. Like your prayer never gets answered. And you see prayers getting answered left and right. And you're, God, when, is my, when, when are you going to ever answer a prayer, any prayer I'm going to pray? It's like the prodigal son, right? The, the, the good son, the elder son, right? Who was the good guy, never did anything wrong, never sinned. But, you know, never got any party either. Never got anything. It's like, God, I'm, I've been here all, all my life, never left, never did anything wrong. And, you know, I don't get any love, apparently. But God is never late, is he, right? He has a timeline for each person here. Ecclesiastes 3.11, first part says, he makes everything, or he has made everything beautiful in its time. Jesus was gracious, he understood, and even when we fall short, when we're weak in our flesh, he understands, He he still loves us, he still shows compassion, and he understood how Jairus must have felt. He encouraged him, in, in that moment, he said, you know, do not fear, only believe. She'll be well. Right? And I, I just pray, my prayer is that God will grant us patient persistence as we pray. Like, patient faith. You know, going back to the Hebrews 11, if you, I think it's just great to read that passage going to the New Year. 11, Hebrews 11. It talks about people who, I mean, the promises they were believing God for did not, were not even fulfilled in their lifetime. I mean, they died without the promise being fulfilled. I mean, what kind of faith is that? I mean, Daniel and his three friends, they were like, even if God doesn't save us from this fire, we're not going to worship you. We're not going to bow down to this idol. Even if he doesn't. We believe he will, but even if he doesn't. So the faith that stays firm, even when things don't go the way you want, that you keep believing that. I still believe in God because I believe he's doing his work here. And it doesn't look like that. People will call that insanity. They will call it madness. But that's faith. And so as I mentioned earlier, this girl was 12 years old. About 12 years old. This was a time in her life. According to Jewish culture, she would be coming of age. And today they celebrate the bat mitzvah, you know, the coming of age, uh, daughter of commandment ceremony. Just about to be inducted into womanhood. Like life was just about to begin, you know. Only child of this guy. Only, only one. They've poured everything into this child and that's it. Just gone. Just like that. And if you recall, Jesus went to the temple at the age of 12 to discuss with the teachers, right? And so that, that was the age where, as a Jew, you were coming of age. And the enemy strikes at that time. You know, Satan has come to kill, steal, destroy. But Jesus has come to give life and life in abundance. But, but the parents must just have been devastated. I, I, I don't know if anyone in this room has experienced that, but if you have, I, I, I know, like, I pray that God is comforting you or has comforted you, and that's the ongoing that he will continue to comfort you. And that with that comfort, he can comfort others. But it's a... It's, it's, uh, Tough thing, actually, and tough is really not even the, comes close to expressing what Jairus was going through, and maybe his wife, if she was in the picture. 
right? And, and so Jesus, in the middle of all this, sees this commotion. He's like, she's sleeping, guys. She's sleeping. I mean, I, I can now, you know, in a big, we read these stories and we're like, yeah, you know, these guys are just ridiculous. Like, Jesus is God. And, but, you know, I mean, put yourself in the shoes of these guys. I mean, she's dead. That's it. And she's like, no, she's sleeping. And they laugh at him. They laugh at him. I mean, these guys are sad, right? But they, they can laugh. You know how sometimes you're crying and you can still laugh all crying? Right? They laugh. Ha! Jesus, no. You know, but Jesus knew what he was talking about, right? So the word sleeping is used throughout the New Testament as a synonym for dead. It indicates death is temporary, especially for the, more so for the Christian, right? So one story I, I think is really, um, I was thinking about when I was reading this was John 11, Lazarus. So Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Because in a similar vein, like Jesus delayed his arrival and then he died right um and they're like you know martha or mary was you know jesus if you had come only if you had come earlier he would have been fine but in verse 11 of john 11 jesus says to his disciples our friend lazarus has fallen asleep but i will go and awaken him and the disciples said to him lord if he has fallen asleep he will recover excuse me but now jesus was speaking of his death but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep so they thought it was literal right but jesus then told them plainly lazarus has died and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So let us go to him. Right, so again, but the bigger point here is, yes, people are going to come to faith as a result of this miracle. But that's what Jesus meant when he said she's sleeping, even though Lazarus had been dead for four days. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, says, you know, uh, Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Right? And so Paul is encouraging the church that for the Christian in particular, death is not to be feared. Right? Because we know we have the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Right? So Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said she was sleeping. Right? But the audience could not understand him. Right? And here's another contrast. Right? So this woman, the woman who touched the hem of his garment publicly acknowledged, but in this case, he's like, no, everyone get out, puts everyone out, and invites a private audience to witness this miracle. So there are times when we'll have answered prayers that are publicly, um, you know, just acknowledged, and times when there's just a private audience, it's just you, God, and maybe a few people that witness that amazing thing that happened, and that's okay. Even though, of course, the fame still spread, and Jesus, you know, was still glorified, and, and people still came to faith because... Um, that's what Jesus does. So he has this private audience, and if you read the other passages, which is the parents, Peter, James, and, and John, the triumvirate, and, and they witness this private miracle. And all he did was take her by the hand, little girl, get up, in the other passages, and she gets up. Right? That's the power of God. Right? And I'm just going to read those two verses, 25 and 26. When the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. So, so through this miracle, undoubtedly several came to faith. Right? And, and we can think about some of the other instances where Jesus raised the dead. There are a couple others recorded in the Gospels, the, the, the widow of Nain and um, Lazarus, and also the apostles, Peter and Paul. And in the case of Peter, I, uh, that story actually resonates with this one a bit. Right? I think there's some parallels there. So Acts 9, 40-42. And this woman, her name was Tabitha, in, or, or Dorcas in, in, in the Greek. And, and Peter put them all outside. That's verse 40 of chapter 9, Acts. Knelt down and prayed, 
And so we see that kneeling down, right? He knelt down to pray, to worship. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Almost similar words to what Jesus used for that little girl, um, although meaning different things. And she opened her eyes and she saw Peter. She sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So that's, that was the power of God, again, to raise the dead on display. And, and the result was that many came to faith. Many came to faith. So overall, these, these were two seemingly hopeless situations that Jesus showed his power and his might over creation, and he, he wrought miracles that not only encouraged the people who were involved in these stories, but also brought many others to faith. And, I mean, he restored this little girl to her family. That was restoration right there. Restored relationship with her father and her mother, presumably, or family at least. Only child, only child. And so, in closing, I just want to encourage us individually, as um, whether you're single or married or in, in families, or and as a church, as, as we step into 2024, in those days, the God that we're reading about is the same God today. It's the same Jesus today. Right? The Bible says it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He saves, he heals, he delivers, he even raises the dead. And, I mean, I began this sermon with a list of some of the hopeless situations ongoing around the world today. And they seem to be multiplying. And, 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 if, and you know, we're going to get there in Matthew at some point about the end times. But the point is, God is here to bring hope even in the most hopeless of situations. The most hopeless cases. And he wants to use us, he wants to use you to be his light in this dark world. He wants to do great things in and through us. He's calling us to grow in faith, to grow in our worship, and to watch him restore brokenness one life at a time. One life at a time. And God also wants us to come to him with our requests. Like I said, it doesn't mean our prayers are always answered in the way we think or want, but I, I believe God always hears us. I was reading recently the story of, uh, you know, um, I don't know, some of you might know the Christian singer Francesca Battistelli. Um, she has a song called He Knows My Name, one of my favorite songs. I was reading about her mom, Kate Battistelli, her testimony, and, and they had a child. So Francesca was their first child, but she desperately wanted another child. Her dream was to have five kids, big family, big, uh, you know, many children. And, and, but the doctor said she could never have a child anymore, and, and, you know, there were these fertility issues that would never be resolved, and and, and advise them to adopt instead. So they tried to adopt three times, but it, it failed. They all, all attempts failed. So that, just a whole painful process. But through all of this, God was showing her, ultimately showing her that he wanted her to use that time to raise and invest in their daughter's um, musical talents and career. And now she's expressing an answer to prayer through the grandchildren of, of, of Francesca, who has four kids, or even more, I don't know, and, you know, and has realized that dream. Um, of having a big family for our grandkids. And that's, that's an example of when there are times when the prayers are answered, not in the way we, we want necessarily, but God answers them in ways we do not expect. And, and there's pain, there's suffering, there's, but I also think in the waiting there's lessons, right? God is teaching us, he's growing us. Even in that act of praying, of worshiping, we're, we're growing closer to God. And I think that in itself is even, even um, just a bigger reward than the actual you know, miracle itself. And I was studying this passage, I was reminded of God's promise in Zephaniah 3. Um, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, that's verse 14. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Two daughters, 
because there were two daughters in the story, right? Daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem. And it goes into the same verses 19 and 20. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise. That's what he did. And renown in all the earth. At, at that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. Before your eyes, says the Lord. Right? So he will gather the outcast and change their shame into praise. That's what Jesus did for this woman. And that's what he can do for you today. And I mean, Jairus' daughter was dead, but Jesus was not done. He raised his daughter back to life. So, so church, I, I believe God wants to do a work of restoration in, in your life, in our lives today. Even as, as we enter this new year, um, and we're going to go into communion um, pretty soon, but you know, maybe like the woman with the issue of blood, you've had an ongoing situation. Maybe there's been shame and pain. Maybe it's been costly to manage. Maybe it's robbed you of relationships. Jesus is here, and he wants to restore life to you. Maybe you're in a situation where you think this is just beyond anyone or anything, not even God, because sometimes, yeah, we think that way. Never forget that we serve the God of the impossible. That's Luke 137, right? If he could raise Jairus' daughter, what can he not do? If he could raise Lazarus after four days, what can he not do? If Jesus himself could be resurrected after three days behind a heavy stone, what can he not do? But we have to come to him in worship and ask in faith, right? And I, I think God is gracious. Sometimes he does things we don't even ask for. He, I mean, he has mercy. And that's what, you know, if you, you know, read the Gospels, right? He's, the sun shines on the evil and the good. I, we were talking to a neighbor the other day, um, actually yesterday, and, um, and, um, and, and, and these are not Christians. One of them is Jewish and, and so on. But they were talking about how, like, they were in Arlington. They used to live in Boston a few years ago. And, and the wife um, was going to go out, but she left the car and then went, forgot something and went back home. And while she w- went back home to get something from, you know, the house, a tree fell on the car and crushed it, right? And, I mean, she was in the car in that moment. That would have been bad, right? But that, I believe that was God having mercy and, and showing mercy um, to these people. And how much more so for those of us who've put us trust in him, who is calling daughters and sons, right? So, how, I, I, so I guess the, question, the questions I have is, you know, so what steps of faith is God asking you to take in 2024? How do you want to grow in your worship of Christ in 2024? I believe God is calling us to put our faith and trust in Him and to grow in that because I, I, even I need to grow. I need to grow in worship of Christ. And I, he wants us to witness and watch His mighty acts of restoration as it draws us and others to Himself because I get, sometimes we're praying and the answer to prayer comes but not just for us but for others around us. Right? Sometimes God is asking us to have faith on behalf of others. That's what Jairus did. He wasn't asking God for himself Yes, it was for himself, but for his daughter too. Right? And these, these guys didn't do anything special. They, they were not, you know, but they, they had faith in Jesus. That's what made the difference. And so let's worship God. Let's have faith. Let's watch him bring restoration in this new year. Again, I just want to repeat that line, the, the kind of summary statement. We receive and witness God's powerful work of restoration through Jesus as we worship him and have faith in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you um, for uh, today. Thank you for this time, um, the opportunity to, to share a word. And I, I ask, oh God, that you um, 
would do a new work. Um, you know, he said, behold, I, I'm doing something new. Um, you're always doing a new thing, Lord, and we're entering a new year, new season of life. Lord, I, I pray, oh God, that you um, would just show us um, just a glimpse of your glory, God. Um, reveal your purposes to us, oh God, in areas where we need to grow, whether it's in faith and worship, Lord. Um, instruct us through your Holy Spirit, Father. I, I pray that it would be encouraged by my word. Because those um, uh, here today just um, needing um, just touch from you or just to encouraged by you, Lord. I pray that they would um, experience that today, Lord, um, and even beyond. And so I just thank you, God, for this time. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.